0: cry your host thank you for joining me today i am thrilled to welcome once more to the podcast colin hudon from one of my all time favorite company living tea episode 66 is colin's first appearance on life on earth podcast if you're inspired definitely go back and listen so who is colin colin has trained in chinese medicine an acupuncture, and he is the founder of Living Tea. Colin has shared tea ceremonies with thousands of people, and he is committed to sourcing the highest qualities of teas. Here is an excerpt from Living Tea's website. Guided by Chinese medicine and the tradition of the way of tea, we source fine teas that are grown with reverence for the plant and the planet. If you want to learn more about calling and Living Tea, visit livingtea.net. In this episode, we talk about the art of stillness, meditation, chadao, tea as a way of life, connection with nature, connecting with your spiritual practice, and the connection with community. It was a pleasure sitting in conversation with Colin for this episode. The way of tea is a big part of my life on earth, and it's a practice that keeps on giving. In this episode, we talk about cultivating a practice. A practice is something that we go back to over and over again. Remember, a practice takes cultivation. Like when planting a seed, we go back to it over and over before the seed blossoms We tend to the process, which requires patience, steadiness, and zeal. I hope this episode inspires you to cultivate some kind of mindful practice. Tea is a great one, most certainly. And yet there are many. Find your way to inner peace. Living Tea graciously created a special limited code for our listeners, Use the code NATALIE15 at checkout and receive 15% off your first order. See show notes for our special code in all episodes references. This show is brought to you by Shanti Yoga Training School. We offer yoga, meditation, and yoga nidra trainings both online and in-person hybrid formats. Go to ShantiYogaTrainingSchool.com for more info. Join us in 2024 for this our second time in the Virgin Islands for an in-person experience. Without further ado, please enjoy Colin Hooden. Welcome to Life on Earth, the Peace Project a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature, and ultimately, love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace, and global equality, one earthling at a time. Hi, Colin.
1: How are you, my friend? Good to see you, Natalie.
0: Yes. Welcome back to Life on Earth podcast for the second time. We'll link the first show below on show notes. It's great to have you back.
1: Happy to be here. Always nice talking to you.
0: Yes. Yeah, I have so many different topics that I'd love to discuss with you. You are the founder of Living Tea and also you hold space for so many of us with Living Tea and through the work that you do. And I would love for us to get into it and also find out the many ways that this have assisted you in your life, both personally and and also like on the macro and micro level and how tea can be such a conduit for ultimately inner peace and tranquility and love. Maybe one of the first questions that's popping to me is, How is tea as a way of life and chadal, if you could explain a little bit to us, the history and because when you hear tea, I want people to understand right from the beginning, especially since it's your first time. And I mean, second time, sorry, on the podcast and the first time we've covered so many basics, but on that, this is not just a tea but it, there's a way of life connected to this practice, and I think that you so beautifully transmit that to the world. So I'd love for you to just kind of educate our listeners with maybe starting there.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I I want to kind of open that up by distinguishing between tea as a as a way. What's called cha dao. You know, cha means tea, and dao is is referred to as the way or a way or chanoyu in Japanese and the difference between tea as a way or as a path or a practice as opposed to what a lot of people in the west think of as tea which is you know a tea bag that they put in a mug and they sip while they're talking on the phone or driving their car or doing something like that are quite different and mm-hmm. i got very curious and it's different in multiple different ways and i don't want to go too deep into that because otherwise i'll take up the entire next hour just talking <laughs> But in short, you know, when we work with teas that come from old growth trees that are grown from seeds instead of from grafted clippings, like on plantations that are free of any kind of agrochemicals. That are grown in old growth forests where the biodiversity is intact instead of like clear cut mountainsides, and ideally from old growth trees. So, you know, tea trees can live literally thousands of years. The oldest one I'm aware of is around 3,200 years old. Those teas, so teas from those old growth trees that grow in that way and then are treated with reverence in how they're processed, and then are brewed ceremonially. So, in these traditional methods, right? So we kind of work with five different brewing methods. When all of those pieces are in place and there's an intention for it to be a mindfulness practice, that is a very different experience of tea. And there are a lot of Taoist and Buddhist ideas that also are incorporated into those practices. That's a very different relationship to tea than plantation tea in a mug on your way to work, right? So Mm -hmm. distinguish that for listeners so they understand like, Okay, this is a different thing we're talking about. And it's really tea as a medicinal herb, first of all, what we call a Shen or spirit tonic in Taoist medicine, Chinese medicine. And then also, again, the connection to some of these other traditions. So after many years of living a life of tea for over 20 years now, I've been studying and practicing and traveling extensively in Asia and sharing tea with a lot of people like yourself. Yeah. Uh, I believe that this mysterious tree has the power to really transform the world or at the at the very least to transform an individual's life if they really relate to it as a practice
0: yeah and transform the world it really starts with each and every one of us so if everybody if even we could achieve that transform ourselves to a better version imagine what that would do and just to put context into what you're saying for everyone, like as an example, this morning, I brewed some living tea from your company, living tea, and I had some showware and I sat for probably close to an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, and, and all that entails is just, I had a cattle with boiling, boiling water, and I lit a candle, and I just sat in silence, and so to me, I sat in silence and just brewed bowls of tea and drink that tea you can steep it multiple times and that is a practice that for me is very grounding and it's one of the things if not the thing that I look forward to the most in my life at this point and I'm also going to share with everyone that and that's why it's so awesome to have you back here on the podcast that no matter what's going on right all the tumultuous things that's going on in life or different phases this is something that i can come back to when you can one can call it a meditation or just breathing and and just being quiet but it doesn't even need to be labeled it's just about sitting and enjoying the tea and having a connection with the plant and the water as well and that vibration just comes in and it just really changes my whole life for the better (laughs) I'm just trying to get people to understand something very practical, you know, and so that's what we're talking about. And there's obviously different ways, like Colin said, there's different ways to brew, and you can also sometimes when I travel, I have a little bit of a traveling kit and I bring with me. But it is, it is like a shelter in the storm for me, and it's been such a beautiful thing. And I really look forward to getting to sitting with the tea. It's and I love for people to to hear that because even I teach yoga and meditation. Meditation is a part of yoga. And oftentimes it's like even in my teacher trainings, I can't even say, how do I sit for start with five minutes, 10 minutes? And it's it's like almost for some people, it's like it's so easy, simple, but it's like not, and they kind of drag looking forward to that 10 minutes. But with tea, it's so simple. Like you really feel the grab, like you feel the pull. It's not even like you have to do it. It's like, oh my God, when do I get to do it? And then you're like naturally, organically having this meditation session, which is so beautiful. I love it. Mm-hmm. So wanted to share that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people struggle with having a formal discipline, like daily meditation practice. And mm-hmm. when people say that, they're like, my mind's too busy. I've got too much on my mind. And I go, well, that's uh-huh. that's exactly the reason why you should develop a practice. And there's this saying in Taoism, which is a person of the world puts something on every day and a person of the Tao takes something off. And the idea is that at the deepest level, the the way of tea outlines a way of life that connects us to our most essential self within the larger context of nature. And there's all these examples in Taoism of In the natural world, the way that trees grow following the seasons, or they shed their leaves in the autumn, or ice thaws, or nature evolves in its own way, it's not following some set of guidelines or principles or rules, right? It happens, there's no rush. It just happens of its own accord. And a lot of people, don't feel connected to what's essential in them, which is their relationship to nature into this larger environment that we're very much a part of. We human beings, of course, are animals and we evolved through a long evolutionary biological process over millions of years, right? And so, but we spend so much of our time relating to the world through our egos and through our personas and our personalities and our identities. So our titles and our jobs and our, socioeconomic situation and education and families and on and on and on and it's all these layers of identity and i think most of our in in psychology in modern psychology there's a lot of increasingly a lot more talk of buddhist psychology because the essence of a lot of buddhist practice is recognizing these levels of false identity that are manufactured or they're artif- artificial you could say in a sense and that by coming back to a mindfulness practice we're putting down all those layers of identity and coming back to something more essential or the essence of who we are as individuals and mm-hmm. so i think inherent in drinking these old growth teas it's like a medicine for for the spirit or for the heart because there's a an intertwining relationship between meditation and even just the flavor, the taste of tea, and you could even say, like, enlightenment, which is that tea cannot be described in words, but only tasted directly here and now. When we bring our attention to the practice of the aroma, the flavor, the experience in the body, what we call the chi or prana, life force of the tea, how it moves through the body, All different teas have different personalities and they make you feel different sensations and energies. And to be clear, we're talking about camellia sinensis. So this isn't Mm -hmm. chamomile or chrysanthemum or Mm T-sans or teas. Good point. Yeah, Specifically about camellia sinensis, which is a particular tree, right? But when we bring our attention to just the experience and we put down all of the drama of our lives as a daily practice, it's like creating a touch point in one's daily life where they they become more agile in the ability to put things down. When the mind gets really busy or we find ourselves identifying with a certain state of being, you develop a new baseline or touch point for I know what it feels like to put all that down and be present with the practice. And I think that's so valuable in the pace that life currently, is for most people with technology and the complexity of the world we live in in yeah oh, it sounds so simple but the most effective medicine we have nowadays in our complex world is simple it's coming it's the ability to come back to simplicity and to what's essential in ourselves
0: yeah thank you for that can you tell us the the different i guess the different teas that come from camellia sinensis the so we got oolong, just so people Definitely. can have an idea,
1: sure. so or at of,
0: least some of them.
1: Yeah. So going from the the lighter, brighter floral teas, you have white tea, green tea, a yellow tea, and oolong. Oolong can also be more roasted and darker and a little bit earthier and complex. And so white, green, yellow, oolong, and then red tea, which we call black tea in the Western world. And then uh, poor tea. And poor tea is really kind of what uh, I specialize in at Living Tea. It's I really love poor, and there's different types of poor, but most of us in the West have never even drank poor tea.
0: Yeah. No, I love it. I, I love poor so much. And so, how long have you had Living Tea? Like, how long, when did you start this company?
1: I had the idea. I was sitting in a tea house in San Francisco in 2007, and I was reading. I picked up a book off a shelf, and it was the writing of my a man named Baisao, who is a he was a Buddhist monk that then later became he kind of took his robes off and said, "I want to just live a, a normal life as a tea vendor." He he would sit on the side of the road around Kyoto, and this is in the I want to say in the 1600s. I've got to look that up, but He lived a very simple life, but he was quite a profound person, and people would start writing down the things that he said, and they would stop by his tea stall, and he would serve them some simple tea and um, maybe share some wisdom, and students started to gather over time. And despite his saying, he he wanted to destroy all this teaware and leave the world without a trace, but of course, a lot of his teachings and writings uh, in the poetry that he would share was recorded. And um, I had never heard of him. I just started reading this book of his writing and I was really kind of moved by it. And I had been drinking tea prior to that, but I started to get this inkling that there was more to it. And so then in 2009, I started traveling pretty extensively throughout Asia, wanting to learn more and met some different teachers and one primary teacher, Wuda in Taiwan. And some of his teachers. And so then I opened a tea house in 2010 in Los Angeles. And since then, since then I've had living tea for about fourteen years now. We just had our fourteenth birthday.
0: Wow. Congratulations.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I've I've had I bet ne-
0: it's been kind quite the journey.
1: Yeah, I mean, all over traveling. All over Asia and yeah. certainly to thousands of people all over the world actually you know
0: yeah. and tell us a little bit about your background because i i think that's an important connection because i know you have training in chinese medicine and you really come from a lot of different angles at this
1: yeah so i i did a in university what what feels like a lifetime ago a long time ago uh <laughs> i study i minored in asian religious studies and i was particularly interested in in zen buddhism and Taoism. And so my parents would like joke around and say, "Why are you so into these Eastern philosophies and teachings?" And I said, "Well, you send me to school with Jesuits. What do you expect?" So, and then through my twenties, I was studying a lot of yoga and uh, tai chi and qigong and tea. And in my late twenties, decided to go to back to school for traditional Chinese medicine. So, herbalism and acupuncture and cupping and moxa and body work. And I also did a degree in biomedical science. So. I've always been interested in the intersection of, of biomedical science and Western medicine and these older earth based practices. And what an extraordinary time that we can have these different coexisting approaches to human health and find ways for them to support each other.
0: Yeah. So I would you to... have yeah. yeah. I was go we were gonna say you... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say. So, I went to school for about seven years, and then i f- I finished all my medical boards in twenty seventeen and moved oh,
0: okay.
1: to the mountains where I live now.
0: Totally right.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I was going to say, you have the 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 club. You have the tea club at Living Tea, and I think that in the club, all of that sort of meshes really well together because you get to pick all the different ones for the seasons. And you also have a write-up and a blog that goes along with it. I think your expertise really comes into guiding people, not just with the tea picking, but really with the seasons and the times of the year and the five elements. And I know I would love for us to talk a little bit about that, if you could share.
1: Yeah, totally. We So I often say that the Tea Club is sort of the heart of our offering at Living Tea because... I take usually three months leading up to it. And then I try to write something really poignant, maybe some antidotes that come out of those tradi- the traditions I've been speaking of or reflections on deeper questions that are related to the element in the season. And then I source really special teas that are seasonally appropriate. So we drink different teas during different parts of the year to nourish and support the organs that are most affected by climactic change during that time of the year. So like in the autumn, it's the time of the metal element, and we want to really nourish the body fluids because the earth becomes drier and colder, and to support the lungs and the large intestines. And so there are certain teas, for example, that support that, and certain flavors that will evoke different states. And so then I write about the qualities of the element and some of the qualities of the season and how we can cultivate our own inner development or or work on ourselves, as a way to put it, by working with what's happening in the natural environment. And this really comes out of, you know, the basis is in in Chinese medicine. And there's a line from the Tao Te Ching, which I really like, which is man or woman or human being follows the earth, the earth follows the cosmos, the, the cosmos follows the Tao, and the Tao follows that which is natural. Or in other translations, the Tao follows uh, itself. And when we talk about the Tao, we're talking about this ineffable, ineffable, vast oneness that we experience in life, and the truth out of which all the principles and virtues of human existence kind of emerge in return. Or it's the interpenetrating interconnection of all life, right? We words fail when we try to talk about these things. But trying to follow that as an abstract idea is challenging for a human being or staying connected to the inter interconnectivity of all existence, whereas following the earth is more accessible. And so the way that I teach that and share that is by following seasonality and seasonal awareness in terms of the foods we eat. The practices, the types of teas that we drink, and when we follow the earth, that can help to open us up to following a larger macrocosmic cycle. In doing that, we're also creating the foundation for longevity, which is a big part of Taoist medicine, is how do you live a long life so that you can complete your own dharma in this lifetime, and not just live a long time, but also be healthy into old age. And so, it's really about a path of wisdom, and about cultivating deep wisdom as we get older and, and as we get into our, our our ripe years, so to speak.
0: Right? Yeah, and there are so many healing benefits I find with the, the teas. Too sitting with the tea and just how it clears the body, detoxification, inflammation. I mean, there's so many things too that because I definitely notice the difference. I'm very sensitive, like what I put in my body. And I do feel like there's a, on a physical level, there's a, there's a cleansing too. Yeah. Um, Almost like a recalibration or a balance as well, of certain things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, I think the health benefits of tea operate on a couple different levels. And I think the essence of tea as a medicine is that it corrects, correctly, orients us to our place in the cosmos, meaning it helps to slow us down. As as one friend of mine said once, he said, tea is the Eastern antidote to Western stress, right? (laughs) Yeah. This is created by a frame of mind of Mm -hmm. not enough time, not enough resources, scarcity, feeling life being all about me and what I'm trying to accomplish and who I am in the world and all of that. And that ability to slow down and To step out of that stress, out of the mind, out of this constant doing and going and moving and bigger and faster and this tendency that we have, stepping out of that, which you could say it's sort of like a psychic level is of inflammatory state, right? So there's the physical, physiological anti-inflammatory aspects of tea, right? From all the polyphenols and catechins and antioxidants and all this. But there's also the sort of inflammation of the mind and the inflammation of the ego. And the it's like putting all of that down and slowing down and coming back to the heart and coming back to what's essential and natural and gaining a larger perspective on what's important in life when staying connected to that on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. That, and the connection to nature is, I think it's huge too, because you really feel with the seasons too. I think that that's an aspect of that. Well, I guess that's what you mean also by saying with earth, right? Because then you can see that the leaves are changing, the weather is changing, how your body is reflecting to that. And I mean, body, mind, spirit, your soul, and then kind of like changing a little bit the practice of what you eat and what you do according to what's going on around you. And I mean, just that can like change someone's life,
1: Completely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at a to be more
0: attuned.
1: Yeah, to what on to within their psyche, their emotional state, what's what they're in, their intuition is communicating to them, what their physical body needs. Like, just it develops. It requires sensitivity to these things.
0: Would you say that you? I'm curious about that. That's really how now. It's just naturally how you.
1: It are with life. like Taoism's called the watercourse way, right? And it means developing the ability to flow with the way that that life wants to flow and not trying to always enforce our will um, or our desires or our impulses or our whatever onto getting what we want, right, but rather learning to to flow with the natural unfolding of our lives. And learning to listen and be open and receptive, and these things aren't taught to us. I feel like I feel like all the important things about how to cultivate wisdom, which is the foundation for happiness in life, we we are not taught these things in school, right? So, I think that's why I always have had a rebellious streak, and it's a little bit against that. What's that Krishna quote? He says something like, "It is no measure of a of a man's health to be well adjusted to a sick society." and not i'm not like a social critic i think most people are doing the best they can but yeah but i do think that generally culturally there's a lot of misguiding principles and values yeah and so, learning to hear what you, you what's true in you
0: yeah you know? well i mean let's face it it's nobody's fault it is a challenging world just the struct how the world is structured it's like the it's not like that us as individuals are guilty it's just like the setup is already
2: challenging
0: as you have to do this you have to do this you have to go to school have to make money you have to do i mean it's just so programmed how long have you been sitting i know you told us like how long you've opened living tea and all that but how long have you started having a relationship with tea in this way like drinking a bowl of tea in silence it's been like
1: a long time, right? I mean, in terms of like sitting for sessions and multiple steepings and paying attention to the brewing methods <laughs> and like like the real deep geek out, yeah. that really started in like 2009-10. And prior to that, I was really interested in tea and discovered loose leaf tea and, and found that it was better just at an aesthetic level, aroma, flavor, was better than what I was getting in tea bags. So then I, that kind of was a doorway... It's been a lot of doorways I've walked through and that kind of opened up a question of like, okay, there's levels to this, which is true of anything in life, right? There's multiple multiple levels. Um, And then a woman in like 2000, I guess seven gave me a book called the book of tea um, by Okakura Kakuzo, a Japanese man who lived in the early 1900s fascinating, brilliant man. And that book blew my mind. I mean, a lot of it's like Zen and Taoism and flower arrangement and tea masters throughout history. And it was (laughs) beautifully written and it was very profound. And I read that and was like, there's a whole world here. I need to know more.
0: Yes. And there is a whole world. And I'm sure that the, I guess like one of my reasons for asking you that is I'm just really curious. Like, so the practice keeps deepening like you mentioned, there's so many levels, right? So even now I'm sure there's other levels and it's always, it's always going deeper. And how has, have this practice served you in some practical ways in terms of like when things happen in life, emotionally or whatever, personal or business, how do you feel that this has served you or been there for you in that way? Can you talk a little about that? Because I feel like that's so interesting.
1: Yeah. So there's two, I think there's two ways to respond to that. And one is it kind of has given me my outline for how, for what I study in life and my whole approach to the yearly, my yearly curriculum, so to speak. And I'll say a little bit more about that because it's rooted in the five elements Meaning I know what I'm interested in, I know what I'm studying, and it changes throughout the course of the year based on what's happening in the natural world. And then on a more immediate level or a more personal level, I guess, I've, I went through a number of very difficult, kind of challenging circumstances in the last couple of years. And I often say to people, when when difficulty arises in one's life, this is, it's more nuanced than this, but generally speaking, there's three ways to respond. One is to change the situation. If you can, a second approach is to accept it fully, which means that you're at peace with it. You've you've come to terms with it. Um, you've put it down, so to speak. And the third is to walk away. Right. Uh And even though that sounds like a simplification, At some level, there's truth to it, right?
0: Is it like the second one, kind of like santosha, like some kind of contentment with, like, it is what it is type of thing?
1: Yeah, and recognizing that how I perceive it, we don't always know what our gifts or offerings in life. You know what I mean? That it might be very difficult, but it's creating the conditions on some larger scale to shift you and push you in that direction, which is more aligned with your Tao or your Dharma, right? Mm Mm-hmm. We don't really know what's good for us and bad for us. I mean, right. we, we do at a at a basic level, but like life brings us different things. Yeah. And so like seem- how
0: could we really know that this, what we're going through that's so challenging, doesn't have a bigger meaning and however long from now.
1: Yeah. Or that it's clearing some things out of the way. Or whatever.
0: But you still have to go through it.
1: Yeah. And that's uh, one of the teachings of tea is that life is an offering we didn't, I, I mean, depending on what people believe, but generally speaking, we didn't ask to be here. You're born into the world. Uh-huh. You, your memory gets swiped. And then you're like, huh, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> yeah. and, but this offering, when we can start to reorient towards our experience of life as it being an offering, then we can relate to that adversity as fuel and fodder and opportunities for growth. If there was never any adversity, we would never grow. Because it's at the edges of our comfort zones that growth happens, right? Like if you look at a forest, the transition zone between two ecosystems, that's the most fertile area always. And it's when we when we're at the edges of our what we believe is our capacity, that's where we expand, right? So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so part of so these experiences I had in the last couple of years, they put me in a position that I don't know that I've been in, meaning my orientation is always change it or walk away. Like I, I'm a little binary and I was in a number of position situations where the only option was accept and surrender, like, (laughs) like ask for grace basically. And that was very difficult for somebody of my kind of personality makeup, I guess you could say. Yeah. And it was the first time that I recognized the profound value of the practice. Because in the face of that situation and that reality, I had to sit and, and put down all of my preferences and opinions and ideas and let go. And the thing, one of the primary things that uh, that supported me in letting go and getting to a place of equanimity and gratitude and openness and receptivity was a day, was my daily tea practice. So I would wake up in the morning and put a kettle on and I would sit for three to 10 steepings, depending on my time. And I would just connect with my inner life. We live our inner life that most people don't see. And then we live our outer lives and my Mm -hmm. inner life is turmoil. And so the ability to sit and just put all of it down and come back to a place of peace and stillness was so healing one and it also was necessary for me to then meditate so I drink tea and then I meditate in the morning and then I usually write and without without that's the, a
0: beautiful sadhana, sadhana by the way
1: yeah and then you
0: <laughs> meditate and write and move I love that
1: that's those four things are the foundation for my well-being and health and life
0: and it's like part of your non-negotiables too
1: Oh, 100%.
0: You know what I mean? Because it's, it's like people will say, well, how do you, the hell, we can find time for that. We can find time for it. In some version of it, if you, you can see that this is, it's a way.
1: Yeah. You know? the, the irony is that I say, in order to have space, because for a lot of people, they say that's a luxury. And like, you're like, how yeah. all the And I say, I have two businesses and a three-year-old son. I do not have a I lot know. of space in my life. Yeah. But it but discipline can create the space. And what I mean by that is I I discipline myself to go to bed earlier so I can get up at six. Mm -hmm. So that I can take two hours or two and a half hours and have the whole practice. And then as a result of all that, the work I do is more efficient and effective and focused. And when I'm with people, I'm more present, you know, like Mm -hmm. so people say, I don't have time for this, don't have time for that. And I say, well, how much time do you spend on Instagram in a day? Right. Or how much time do you spend, I don't know, doing whatever you
0: know? or Netflix or whatever, whatever a night. Yeah. yeah. It's all a matter of choices and where you want to put your energy and what you value. Yeah. Because I've heard that with different things too like or even like how can you spend so much money on this or that well it's just a matter of choice because also there's certain things that would never spend money on and things that would so it's really where you want to invest your time energy money as energy and,
2: yeah. and,
0: and and without judgment people have different ideas of what they want if you know but if you start on the spiritual path and you want to prioritize Some things because you know that by doing this you will feel better on whatever it's like it's a no-brainer yeah it's a no-brainer like i just noticed that when i'm not sitting and meditating and drinking tea that my life sometimes starts spiraling and then i'll you know especially if i'm traveling i go in places and it's just like and then when i notice oh my god i haven't sat for five six days and it sounds so Crazy, Maybe for people who are hearing this now, but it's like, there is, it's, I'll go, oh my God, I haven't sat in and then I'll just make it a priority to the next day. have my cattle that I have my, wherever I am, doesn't matter. Even if I'm traveling, I bring my traveling kit and then that simple act. Well, it's like, it, I'm not going to say that all my problems on earth are solved, but in my mind, things get so much more settled and much, so much more tranquil. I mean, the contentment and the santosha with it is what it is, even if I can't change it, I just come from a place that I can now move forward with whatever business partnerships, also personal, and that it's a lot less chaotic, but coming from a place that's like a lot more balanced and grounded without being just more kind of like on a rat race or, or, or this is this one thing you're going to just do this because somebody's telling you to do it or whatever it is and it's like you can actually take a breath and exhale and i'll say okay this is let's just relax here for a moment and not jump into any next thing or conclusion or whatever and just it's okay to like take a step back so i'm thinking like particularly right now my business sometimes is like things can, i'm sure everybody listening to can go so fast and it's like well you can just say i need to pause you know when you stay with, when you come into your tea practice and meditation you really realize like i don't need to be a part of this like hamster wheel i can pause and i can make a decision from a place of much more grounded and usually in the long run that will be way better for everyone involved Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> rather than you're just doing one thing after the other, because you just feel like you have to, and then you're yeah. spiraling.
1: You know, I think the other piece is there's a friend of mine who, she was like the, the director of the Buckminster Fuller Institute for a very long time. And he was kind of a design scientist and a brilliant kind of polymath. And she said, he's got this term called trim taps. And trim tabs are the things on the plane, on a plane's wings that like just subtly Mm -hmm. adjust it, which make a big difference on the whole like flight pattern of the plane. And what we tend to do in life is try to like, most of the decisions we make are like trying to adjust everything from the nose of the plane while it's flying at 10,000 miles per hour, which is reacting to life as it's coming at Mm -hmm. us. But the trim tabs are like these tiny little adjustments that can have massive impact, right? And so adjusting the trim tabs is like when you are responding instead of reacting and without some form of mindfulness practice, some people have this profound equanimity and that's their great that as part of their makeup, right? But they might not have that, what I call wood energy in terms of five elements of like initiative and vision and they go after things and, you know, that kind of bulldog energy but they have equanimity but when when we have a mindfulness practice to come to equanimity and stillness and centeredness and groundedness then we can see much more clearly if i just make this little adjustment right which is a much lower expenditure of energy it's more like aligning it's it's aligning instead of hustling you know and when we align, you can make a just subtle adjustment, and that will bring you to where you're trying to go much more efficiently and simply and
0: um... yeah, I love that you use the word alignment. It makes so much more sense. Like when I feel like I'm aligned, it's it's a complete like you said, it's very subtle, but it's a completely different outcome internally and externally. Yeah. Because yeah. internally is really important too. that. You feel that you are not just being taken like by the airplane or whatever, however you described it, you know what yeah. I mean? But that you feel like, okay, I'm in a place that it feels it, it's feeling more in alignment with, with my internal compass where I am right now. I'm not just like going with the wind and that's huge. I mean, that's like so I, I'm saying this because I would love I would love to invite people to if you're not already having these practices that Colin and I are talking about to really explore it because I do feel that this will make a huge impact on people's lives and especially like you mentioned early in the world that we live now. I mean, it's 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 cultivating this this awareness, this kind of like inner Jedi, right? Power, strength or whatever you want to call it that I do believe that us humans all need it at this moment in time. I do feel like you need some A practice, you know, that is something that's spiritual and that can really calm you and can bring you because otherwise we're just stretching ourselves too thin and we're just going, going, going. It becomes overwhelming, and chaotic, and then you're no longer operating from who you actually truly are. You're no longer that. And that's
2: huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. And, and just one thing I'll say, you know, like emotions are energy in motion. Hmm. That's what I've realized. So when we're also going through turmoils, if it's personal and there's a lot of emotional and, 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 you know, a lot of charge to it, to just also come back and sit. And for me, the tea is a great friend. I can say it like that, like a great friend, a great ally, you know, that I can just boil this. Like you said, even the taste is amazing and just, sit with it for a few bowls and and now i know just watch the the emotion because it it will too this too shall pass type of thing you know it will pass or it will transform into a different one it could be better or worse but these are energies that are just passing us through with the drama of whatever it is that's going on in our lives you know yeah and and there's a steadiness if we can. We can just kind of pull back, but bringing it back to the tea, I've, I've been thinking about this. The tea is like a really great friend that you can, you know, sit with, and it just allows you to, you know, it just gives you this nice hug and says, "Okay, we can we can go through this," and and it's gonna, and then things start transforming and changing because they always will. That's mm. just the nature the nature of things, right? The impermanence of things is.
1: Is all we know. So yeah, yeah, our minds are with us all the time, of course.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But oftentimes we aren't with our minds. And what I mean by that is, whenever sometimes I say to people, "If you want objective evidence that you are crazy, and so is everybody you know, uh-huh. just a strong meditation practice." Because the more aware you become of like where your mind is and what you're doing with it, the more you realize like, Oh my God, it's, I'm just, it's just doing its thing. It's like, it's living its own life. Yeah. So much time, and we're not even aware really of what we're thinking about. And it's a little bit of a circus sometimes in there. And I think that can be a little overwhelming for people when they start a meditation practice or they, they can kind of go like, there's so much going on in my head that I'm not even like aware of, but you know, these emotional states that we go through oftentimes are reactions to thoughts that we're not even aware that we had, right? So like, there's this whole universe inside of us that's creating and expressing and destroying and reacting and this and manifesting a reality that we're experiencing. And so much of our lives, I feel like we are grasping after Some feeling of wanting to feel a certain way or grasping after an experience or a person or a thing or whatever. Or we're trying to push away and avoid something that's unpleasant and saying, Oh, I don't want to feel that. I don't, that person makes me feel this way, whatever. And we spend so much of our lives in these kind of fear and pleasure ping pong match, right? Of just reactivity and attachment and craving on grasping and it's one thing to say i think that's causing me a lot of suffering maybe i should try to do less of it right mm-hmm. as, idea, as a concept it's another thing to create the space in our daily lives to stop doing that you know and to me that's so much of what tea practice is about is i'm just going to sit here and experience gratitude and connection with these trees and with this moment as it is, without grasping, without doing anything, and just observe and watch the state of my mind, my emotions, my body, how does it feel? Is it tight? Is it tense? Can I exhale and relax? And a practice denotes something we come back to over and over and over again, right? And the more we create a practice of that, the more it starts to affect how we navigate our daily lives. which is spacious and open and available and present. And what a gift, not only to give ourselves, but also bringing that energy to somebody else.
0: I was going to say, what a gift to, if I'm with someone that's offering their presence, it's, it's a huge gift for me.
1: Yeah, I think that's ultimately the connection every human being is looking for, somebody to be really present with them, right? And that we know what it's like when somebody's really present to us. It's uh-huh. it changes reality. It's like, oh, uh-huh. there's spaciousness here. Like I feel like you care for me and you see me and you're available uh-huh. and you want to connect. And when we have that kind of connection, or we can offer it to somebody, that can be really transformative for us, for other people. And it's the foundation for intimacy and vulnerability and authenticity and all these qualities that is what we're really looking for, I think. You
2: know,
0: this would be great. Segment for you to talk a little bit about sitting with others when you offer tea ceremony. And also, I'd love for you to share a little bit about the idea of communing because you just spoke so beautifully. I think to me, that's what I was hearing. But if someone doesn't, is not getting that yet, when you talk about the leaves of the tree, how do we commune with the trees and the leaves? What is a little description of that, and then how in sharing tea in community, because that would be a beautiful thing.
1: So you asked this question about tea as a, a means of connection or connected, cult, nurturing uh, community, communion, connection, etc. And it's often referred to in Mandarin as the great connector, and. We often say in our tradition, it helps us to connect in three really essential ways. One is to connect with ourselves, which we already kind of have covered. The other is to connect with others, with other people or other cultures even, and then to connect with nature. And the connecting with others, you know, I've, I've hosted like thousands of tea ceremonies at this point, I think, and that's so great,
0: by the way. I love
1: that. Yeah, it's kind of like when I look back on my life, I'm going to be like, oh, "It was just one long tea session." I think I don't. Know. But <laughs> that's fine. I think that how blessed, right? <laughs> I mean, dig Yeah, something.
0: you're very blessed. Every time I'm in LA and I'm talking about tea, they go, "Oh, you yeah, have set with Colin from."
1: <laughs> that's cool. Seems
0: like everybody in LA.
1: <laughs> At some point, <laughs> that's
0: into that's into tea, you know.
1: I think I kind of brought tea in this way to LA, in, in a lot of ways, there was one friend yeah. of mine. Adam Yasmin, who was brewing some Gong Fu Cha. But other than that, I don't know of anybody who was like, in these traditional ways. But anyhow, oftentimes people come to sit as a group. And, you know, I usually share some introductory things to put people at ease, to understand what we're doing, so it doesn't feel too esoteric. And then I say, we're going to sit for three or maybe more steepings in silence. And I invite people to observe the aroma and the flavor and how the tea makes them feel Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and to notice the patience of the tea. So how the leaves open and they transform from one steeping to the next, which Mm -hmm. is a quality of a living tea as opposed to a tea bag tea, which is processed so that it releases all the oil and tannin immediately tannins. And so people are sitting there and if their minds are very busy or what have you, or their egos are very activated they might feel uncomfortable at first, but there's always a certain point where you can feel everybody kind of drop in and relax and they start to observe the experience. And all of a sudden they become like present to the essence of their lives, which is our lives are not to be found in like our memories or of the past or in the anticipation of the future. I like to say, this is not a dress rehearsal. Like this is your life. my life right now that the essence of our lives is here and now and you know people have read Eckhart Tolle or maybe some different mindfulness teachings but the difference between knowing that and experiencing it are are vast right Mm -hmm. when we really come into contact with what is primary which is this moment as it as it unfolds as it opens that can be a very profound experience for somebody who hasn't cultivated mindfulness in their lives. And tea facilitates that connection. And it's the connection to this moment as it is that can open a doorway that can be very profound for people. The other thing is when you sit with a group of people or when you meet new people, and oftentimes at a tea set, there's people you've never met. Yeah. What happens is our personas and our personalities and our egos come out because we feel like we need to present a version of ourselves or be charming or witty or whatever it is we think about how we're supposed to be.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And when you give people permission to like, don't lead with that, we're going to lead with silence and stillness. And people can drop out of that when they stop being uncomfortable, sitting with strangers in silence, which Mm -hmm. unless you have a a practice can be a little uncomfortable for people. Yeah. Drops. Oftentimes people get emotional. And I think my suspicion, it's different for different people, is that what's happening is on some unconscious level, there's a feeling of this is how it's supposed to be with people. This space of spaciousness and authenticity and openness and like nobody's trying to prove anything here. We're just here together and this, appreciating this moment as it is. And it sounds so simple, but it's quite profound for a lot of people because that's not their common experience in life.
0: Right, right. You
1: no, know? and then it opens up these conversations and dialogues without all these preferences and opinions and ego and judgment and critics and da-da-da, where like deep conversation and connection and communion happens. And so that that can be very healing and profound and deep for for folks. It's the only thing I found in my life that it delivers time and time again. You brew tea for people, they come in with all their stuff and they walk out friends exchanging phone numbers and feeling like, yeah. like, wow. Like I just like really connected. Yeah. You no, know?
0: usually how long are the se- between what time and what time are the sessions, the ceremonies,
1: you know, I mean, typically at least an hour you know, yeah. turn out a half or like, I don't know, I've had like three, four hour tea sessions. <laughs> people are like, this is the best thing ever. Why would we do anything else? You know?
2: Yeah. yeah. Like
1: bring out some deeper teas if people feel receptive to it. You start bringing up 20, 30, 40 year old teas that yeah. evoke deep states. They can really change. There's a psychosomatic effect with those old teas. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's like so a,
0: cool. It's like we get aged teas and kind of like wine that you have so many different types of wine and different yeah. price points too and different ages and And tea has all of this and what we're talking about some of them are just so special when you open them it's just it's in itself it's ceremonial it's just so incredible and they they bring so much chi you know prana with with it too oh. that you can feel it Something that, but when you're holding space for people, I think it's also, you know, beautiful that you can hold this silent space because I have witnessed too when people come together, even for tea, and there's a lot of chit chatter in the beginning, because I think there's people are just used to we have to talk yeah. and start talking and whatever. And then for you as the host, I guess, of the ceremony, how do you is it challenging to to be like, to hold space for the first bowl or two or however many, how to quiet all that kind of chitta vritti? Like how do you change the energy of the room? Or is it just like it naturally happens? Like
1: sometimes the tea does the work for you. Like especially brewing those deep grounding, especially aged older teas, they can do the work. A lot of the, they do some of the heavy lifting for you, you know? And that's a little bit about reading the group and knowing what kind of teas to serve, you know. But it's also like Wuda had above his bed this saying in Chinese. And I'm, I might butcher the uh, translation, but it was something like from the moment I wake to the moment I go to sleep, in every breath I take, or in every step I take, something like that, I am brewing tea. And, you know, what it means is this is where it's a life, it is a way, it's a practice. The type of foods you eat, if you move the body and move stagnant chi or or energy in the body, if you're doing healing work on yourself, if you're if you have a mindfulness practice, if you have a meditation practice, if a person their life is a total mess and they don't have any way of navigating their interior life, and they go to brew tea, it's going to create wonky energy in the tea session. And I've I've observed this many 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 times.
2: Mm-hmm. It Whereas, makes
0: total sense to me because it's a transmission.
1: Yeah, it's a transmission and the tea is a carrier of energy. You know, tea is very sensitive to the person brewing it. Whereas if the person preparing the tea has spaciousness and stillness in themselves by by virtue of their own meditation and their own practice, then they just brew tea naturally. It becomes an extension of their own space or their own, their own state of being. And that's why, when I've drank tea with monks or with people who have a lot of stillness, those are the deepest tea sessions. And it doesn't matter if you're drinking ancient tree, thirty year old tea; they are brewing something into the tea that is evoking this depth, right? Which is why in Zen, it's so uh, it's such an essential part of transmission between teacher and student right. is the silent brewing of of tea. Uh, and sharing is the... Well,
0: and then there's the energy too. I feel like the heart space, there's a lot of energy in the Merkaba, and just, I mean, just the energy of being able to, and then, you know, you add the water and the leaves and water in itself is a transmitter too. I mean, I'm thinking in my mind, I've always, I've had this thought for many years that yoga to me is such a personal thing. And when I go to a yoga class, Yeah, we don't have the water and the tea, but the how they live their life, it will also affect, you know, like if I'm there as a student, the transmission that I get from someone who has a practice and having a healthier eating and just sleeping and all the things and, and when they come in and they teach the postures and the breath oh my God, the, the, the transmission can be so powerful versus also you can walk in and if their life is completely chaotic and you take that class, somehow I do, yeah, yoga is very powerful, but I do feel that transmission of like something is a little off here and it often has to do because that person, I mean, I know many teachers who are over teaching and You know, I mean, God bless them because people are just trying to make a living too, but driving all over town and not taking care of their non-negotiables or self-care practice. And it, for me, just because I've been doing this for so long, I can feel the energy in the room and what is actually the transmission in my body, mind, spirit. So it's very, I don't work with anybody nowadays. I would say I would, I try not to, I would ideally not want to have any healer work with me unless Unless I know that they're they have a lifestyle that's actually like they're walking their talk, mm-hmm. because otherwise, it, I can feel it in my system. And you know, it's really important. Like who is who is bringing, who is delivering, and who's transmitting. I think it makes it a huge impact on you. These practices, these spiritual practices, offerings that we're talking about—they are offerings, and they are just. It's a conduit, right? They're coming, like who is offering, holding space and how they live their life. It makes a huge
2: difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It really
2: does.
1: There's this idea in traditional Chinese medicine that a practitioner, one of the first things they're doing when they're trying to diagnose what's going on with a person, if they're having health issues or emotional issues or challenges in their life, is to understand if something needs to change in their life. And that the practitioner can only elicit that change or inspire that change in a patient if they themselves have done that work themselves within their own life. If they've cultivated the ability to move through their own obstacles, their own limitations, their own shortcomings or, or imbalances. And that when a practitioner is really balanced, in I'm speaking in terms of like the five elements and in terms of certain tendencies or if they've done a lot of healing work on themselves just their presence alone can elicit the inspiration and kind of the blueprint you could say Uh it's not it's non-verbal right it's an it's coming from an integrated place that if the practitioner has integrated that in themselves not only is the placing of needles and the healing work that they're doing going to be much deeper for the person but also just their presence alone can evoke that in the the person to transform their lives and start to change whatever needs changing in their maybe their worldview or their unconscious patterning or their beliefs or something like that.
0: And and this is huge. I, I want to get into the five elements, but I just want to share this. So in my yoga trainings, which what I mostly do now, and we have a lot of people listening to this from the trainings, I always say, in when we're in the training, maybe like the 200 hour 300 have different levels. One of the biggest secrets they asked me, you know, about teaching yoga, yes, we're going to learn the technique, the methodology of in our school, all of that. But I tell them, really, the biggest secret is how you live your life as a teacher, like you. So I start right in the beginning of many trainings, we start with just simple questions, like, what are your eight, 10 non-negotiables. What are, what's your self-care practice? What are, because if you are going to do that for others, you, we need to start here. And that, and it's a transmission, really see that. I mean, we have a word for that, parampara. And so it's like, so I tell them, if just about you paying attention to what you eat, your spiritual practice, all of the different things, right? Self-care practices, and you working on yourself and trying your best. I mean, we're humans. We're not spiritual beings having a human experience. Nobody is telling anybody that you have to be 100% perfect. We make mistakes. But at least like we are, if we're on the path and you show up to your students that way, that in itself is going to be like a high quality class and a high quality offering. Just how you take care of your how you present yourself because of what you're doing you know what you're teaching needs to be also what you are practicing it's very important yeah so i just love that you you mentioned that and i think that's going to resonate with a lot of people so thank you for that um because i do see i do see the opposite of that happening quite a lot and i don't want to be negative here so saying things, but it's just true. It's just part of the world that we live. There's a lot of there's a lot of people out there also who are offering a lot of these different things in spirituality and but they're not really living it. And 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 I see that as being slightly problematic. But it it is our responsibility. It's nobody's a victim. It's our responsibility to also take care of our path and what we choose and what we choose to practice with who, what, when, and, you know, so how, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, but. Well,
1: I just wanted to kind of touch on one thing that you made me think of, which is all of these practices and all the sutras and all these texts written by masters and all these things. Yeah. They're all intended as one way to put it to help us know ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when we know ourselves, you don't really need lots of books and teachings and teachers and all these things, but one can only arrive at that place of really, really understanding and knowing themselves deeply through the practices, right? Yes. So many people start teaching when they haven't put in enough time for what they're teaching to come from real experience.
0: And Uh, integration, like the word you used, which I loved.
1: Yeah. You can read lots of books and listen to a lot of podcasts and then parrot or mimic or repeat other things that other people have said. But it's kind of felt, I think, at some level, if that's coming from a place of deep integration and understanding, or if it's coming from just a knowledge or theoretical or conceptual level.
0: And And even uh, when we're failing at some things, I mean, that's actually, that's the humanist too. I think there's something really beautiful even about a a teacher or someone who's offering, who's also has life experiences. And it's not like everyone's like an enlightened Buddha at all times. There's a humanness to all these frats and the teachers too, that can be a very beautiful quality and vulnerable for us to connect with as well, because we are humans, you know, having this body experience (laughs) right now. This is the one that I'm in. (laughs) There's no other. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and
0: there's yeah. gonna be like ups and downs. There's gonna be turmoils and there's gonna be and to know that there are others who are also going through their own things, it's also but how they're navigating it and it can be very inspiring as well to have that human connection. Yeah. With yeah. with people.
1: Yeah. I think absolutely absolutely U- ultimately. We're learning through all these practices to slow down and to pay attention and to be present and to take in more of life and then to respond with a bright wakefulness instead of our kind of conditioned reactivity.
0: Mm -hmm. How does the five elements integrate with all this? Like, with coming from your background of Chinese medicine, yeah, you tell people maybe someone's listening and don't even know. Exactly what we mean by that.
1: Yeah. You're the
0: one. You can explain so, that.
1: So, the five elements, like <laughs> we do a seven day immersive retreat multiple times a year. You know, I used okay. to do the house here in Telluride, and now I'm going to be out doing teaching them in other places or facilitating rather. <clears throat> and we're working together with meditation, Qigong, diet, tea. And it's like all day, every you know, 10 hours a day or something like that for seven days straight. And even then, each day we focus on one of the five elements and even then we very barely scratch the surface we plant some seeds of curiosity i think so i'm going to try to sum up what we barely touch in a 7 day retreat in like 30 seconds here so take it for a grain of salt but or with a grain of salt but one very general way you could look at it is is to look at nature And in the springtime, everything emerges, right? And there's all the greenery and flowers start to come out and sprouts start to sprout. It's the mating season in nature. And what we see is this incredible effulgence and ebullience in the natural world, a return of life and an opening. And it kind of opens the eyes uh, to the world. And so it's this time of vision and... Um, planning and decision making, and it's everything started emerging out, right? You could think of it as a tree growing, right? And it's this upwards energy of vitality and movement. And so we work with these qualities of imagination and creativity and growth and vitality and movement. And that's just to give you one example. It's called the wood element, right? And it's basically the plant kingdom erupting with life. Mm-hmm. So in Chinese medicine that relates to the energy of the liver and the gallbladder and the ability to have clear vision and movement in the body and health and wellness and there are all these qualities associated with the energy of the spring right and with what we with the wood energy specifically and then as all of the plant life grows and emerges that's the the period of birth And then there's the period of growth, which is the fire element. And what happens to wood when it, when it, when you combine wood and fire, right? It burns Mm -hmm. and that falls in the form of ash, which turns into the earth element. You know, the earth element, then as you go deeper down into the earth and it gets hotter, it congeals and starts to turn into the metal element, which is associated with the autumn, the fire is the summer and the height of, of yang energy in terms of yin and yang. And then the metal, as it goes deeper into the earth, it starts to liquefy at a certain level of heat, and the earth holds all this water. And the water element is representative of death. So if the autumn and the metal element is about cutting and the falling away of, of leaves and decay and everything falling away and separating the harvest period, what's essential from what's non-essential in life, the winter and is about death and it's about meditation and the deep essence that's inside of us. And it corresponds to the kidneys and the urinary bladder. And the way that water turns into ice, it represent it's representative of concentration and of focusing and harnessing mm-hmm. uh, and power. Like a seed is kind of like dead on the surface. All of its potential is held within the seed. So that's like this time of storage and accumulation. In the winter of like stored energy. And then again, that water nourishes the roots. And in the spring, it erupts again into this ebullience. So we have this cycle of the five seasons. And the fifth season is the earth element, which is the period in between each of those seasons when yin and yang are in flux. Mm
2: -hmm. And you
1: feel it in nature. You know, where I live here in Telluride, the seasons are very, very drastic and distinct. And there's this period like when the autumn is turning into the winter where there's a lot of wind and there's like, it's very uh, dusty and there's mud everywhere and there's moisture and there's rain and snow and hail. And it's kind of this crazy chaotic period of transformation. And that transformative energy is like the earth element. It's also, if you dug a a hole down and you know, a couple feet down into the earth And you went down there, what you would see is this incredible transformation happening with microorganisms and mycelium and insects. And the earth is a transformative place, right? So we have these qualities of the seasons. And during the season, we shift our diet, the types of teas, the types of practices, maybe acupressure points, types of qigong, if it's the spring and summer it's a very active in yang practice, or you could even think of it in yoga, a more active practice. Yeah. And then more like a yin yoga or some nidra uh, yoga uh-huh. practice in the deep yin times of the autumn and the winter, right? Uh-huh. And so the way that I kind of, so that that is a, a even though it may not seem abridged, uh-huh. it's a very abridged version of, of working with the five elements. But what I do is I take prompts from each season and I journal during throughout the whole season on the same questions. Okay. Every and every year you're, I'm going deeper and deeper into this kind of spiral of exploration. Wow. So, you know, in the spring, like I was saying with the the eyes and the imagination and vision, I'll ask questions about my vision for the future in my life, the direction I'm going about my plans. And do I have a clear plan? You know, like, for six months and one year and three years and like do I understand the path the vision of how I'm going to get there and am I making clear decisions and judgments about what is most aligned with my path and exploring creativity and growth and am I growing and in what ways and like do I feel vital am I tending to my physical energy and my vitality and in what ways and what's my diet look like and you know like I do a spring cleanse the liver cleanse in the spring right with herbs and that kind of thing so there are all these sort of practices that are associated with the element in the season and we can work with the energies that are happening in the natural world in our own self-cultivation and in doing that I find that it keeps me on this ever deepening spiral kind of loop of, of self-cultivation and that's what I was thinking sort of keeps me in check in a way. And then yeah, the other self,
0: self-cultivation, self-inquiry too, which is such yeah. an important thing.
1: Yeah. And specifically in terms of the approach to tea that I take through the five elements in the spring, I'll study things like health, vitality, and movement because it's this very active yang time of the year. And I'll maybe look at tea through the lens of chinese medicine and herbs and tai chi and qigong in my movement practices or yoga whereas in the summer it's kind of the time of the naturalist cuz the natural world is so full and abundant right and so i i study more ecology and agriculture and the farming and cultivation of tea and like so i'll dig into that in the autumn it's the metal element it's cutting so I study method. So processing method, how is tea processed? How is a green tea different than a black tea, right? Mm-hmm. But also I focus on the brewing methods. So why would I brew leaves in a bowl versus a side handle pot versus gongfu Fu or something like that, right? So it's the study of method and breaking things down into their steps. So I'm working with the energies of the season in the things that I'm studying. And, you know, I kind of made this up, but... <laughs> I am also trying to follow what's happening in the natural world because this is an earth-based medicine. Taoism is an earth-based medicine. And approaching tea through the lens of natural health. And I just think it's fun. So I, I have all of a lot of those questions that I work with yeah. uh, written out in a form. So if any of your listeners want to... Mm-hmm wire into that you can always message us and i'm always happy to share those with people because it's a a wonderful way to explore tea
0: and i wanted to mention that you've had so many awesome classes online as well and that some of your presentations including like tea and shamanism or you know how it started all those things are also you have a youtube it's on your youtube channel right you want to tell us which one is that? Is living tea
1: yeah i think it's it's just living tea and when I'm in a good flow or not, tra- you know, I travel a lot these days to teach about tea stuff, mostly mm-hmm. I'm not traveling. I always do Saturday morning sits and those are zoom. So people can like zoom in and brew some tea wherever they are in the world. And then I usually share a talk on a subject and then I open it up for questions. So it's a nice place for people to ask questions if they have them.
0: How can they get involved? And in, if they're listening to this right now, we, I can link it on show notes. What's the best way to...
1: Get yeah, on it's that. Of, it's on the events calendar on the livingtea.net okay. website. Okay. Um, and so, for example, this Saturday, I'm giving a talk on winter health and mm. certain foods you can incorporate into the diet and different ways to care for the kidneys and some considerations in terms of practices and types of teas to drink during the winter season to kind of follow this, this path.
0: Yeah. yeah, I love that. No, I love those. And you've also mentioned in class, you, you've said this multiple times that you recommend that we put our electronics away when we are sitting in tea in this manner as just a practice and to just do three bowls of tea in silence.
2: Yeah, yeah. You
0: can or whatever you do, but really to put your cell phone away and put your electronics, whatever it is, no TV, no nothing, and just start like that start cultivating a practice like that so that's a recommendation for someone who wants to start this practice right now
1: yeah and i always say tea is the best gateway drug to meditation you know like sitting even for three bowls and just having a tea bowl that you don't use for food it's just for tea and a couple leaves in the bowl you don't need teapots and all this stuff you just need a kettle to heat water and a bowl and some nice living tea and just sitting for a couple steepings in silence and being attentive to your inner life and creating some space for that can be really transformative. And then if people want to go deeper, they might journal. It can around be something.
0: really enlightening.
1: It can be profound for folks. You know, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people, I'll get emails or DMs or whatever from people saying like, that simple practice has had like a really profound influence on like my days. Oh, me
0: too. And
1: I notice when I don't do it and I go... Well, yeah. I mean, that's why we're sharing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I never thought when I, from when I first had my first tea ceremony, I never really thought what that we wouldn't end up becoming in my life or the place that it has. Like I never I think it was just like one thing after the other. And then, and I will say, I will plug in your website, like livingtea.net. You can get the most, you said any bowl, but you can get the most beautiful tea bowls there. See, I'm someone that I really love aesthetics. So I love beautiful things. And it did help me when I, when I took the plunge, you know, to invest in some tea, nice tea ware, even just bowls from your website. And it was like, that looking forward to it also have that aesthetic in the morning, a beautiful bowl and whatever it is else I sit with. It's just, it's really nice. Like it's just something beautifying your life. It's, it can be really pleasant too,
1: just joyful. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I've worked with all these ceramicists from around the world and it's so Mm -hmm. neat to see them as artists, you know, evolve. And they're like teapot makers who I've worked with for over a decade. And they were making nice teaware 10 years ago, but what they're making now is extraordinary. So seeing their evolution has been so cool because they're drinking tea and they're refining all these Mm -hmm. subtle details of a teapot that changes the entire feel and experience of using it. And you can really develop that through a relationship with, with tea. And the other thing is that, you know, tea helps us develop a different relationship to stuff, you know, like Mm -hmm. we have this kind of, uh a relationship to the stuff of our lives as just like inert material which i think is because we most we live in a world that's mostly like a reductionist kind of materialist worldview that doesn't see things as alive and having a life of their own so we see everything through the lens of a human-centric perspective but like this tea [SS3] bowl has its own life right yeah especially when you you use these these antique tea Hmm. wares you know we've got like gung fu cups that are hundreds of years old that we sell and things, they've had a whole life in Asia. Mm-hmm. You know, been passed on in families and been shared. I love and, that. and so you can feel that energy and they make amazing tea. And
2: yeah.
1: if you develop a relationship to a thing, it becomes like a friend. You know, like I have a couple yes. teaware that are my favorite. And when you slow down, like we've been describing, all of a sudden you notice like <laughs> how did just they start like,
0: noticing everything i you know start noticing
1: things right and you're like how did they make the lip like that and I, how did they get these little dots in there and like this like yeah. crack glaze, and like oh the signature of the artist like you just start appreciating things it, and it then, totally you no know, it can come open
0: i'm laughing right way. now because i totally relate to this
1: yeah and like you start to realize like we're surrounded by things that are just unbelievable and extraordinary and impossible.
2: And uh-huh.
1: kind of like, wow, like some woodworker built this table like like you just start noticing things and I think yeah. it makes those details make life very interesting and we don't know very
0: interesting. Them. And tea and aesthetics there's a there's a big history with that and in even different um backgrounds from it but you you have I wanted to say this you have some beautiful you wear on your, you know, with your company too, because we talked a lot about the teas, But this is a huge one. Funnily, it's always something that keeps changing. Funnily enough, I recently invested in one of the glass kettles, and the reason I got that is because in my kitchen I have like a a, a regular, you know, metal kettle that's electronic, like how f- most people have in their kitchen, and I started being so. Picky, not so. when my where I sit in my tea room, I have a, a setup, obviously, but with a different kettle, just on an infrared burner and all that. But in my kitchen, even for cacao or other things, I started noticing the taste of the water in this like whatever electronic kettle, and I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> i was like this is not working out for me so i just so you, you know split. i had to get the glass kettle from from you guys and now i have to boil the gla- the the water in the glass kettle and then i mix it with my cacao or if i'm on a run do the tea in a different way but in the kitchen and then and that is like it's just night and day it's, it makes such a difference you start noticing how the water tastes different things you know
1: yeah, I mean, people will say to me, like, I'm trying to make tea at home and it's not like the tea I had when you and I when I made tea for them. And yeah. they go, what happened there? And I go, well, are you using spring water or is it water out of your tap? Is it, how did you filter it? Did you prepare it in a clay kettle or in a glass kettle or in an electric induction thing? Or you, I'll say things like, well, are you using good living teas? Or are you using like some something that you just bought off the shelf somewhere and all these little things when you start it's a slippery slope Like right? because you can it's like
0: nuances
1: yeah there's nuances that can really bring out qualities in a tea that are very special but all these little things kind of add up to, to oh
0: it. yeah and we haven't even gotten to it and we'll leave that for another time but they can also see that on your website the different brewing methods and that also can do so many different things depending on how you're doing. But I mean, like we said, we could talk for hours and hours because it's like a whole world.
1: Yeah. There's a lifetime of things to explore Yeah.
0: And no matter what you, there's always going to be something more and more interesting and another nuance of your own practice that's going to deepen. And, but starting. If you're hearing this conversation now and you're really interested, I will, Tell people to go to your website because there's so much. There's a community aspect on there that you, like I said, YouTube, and you can get all that or the seats sits that you do on Saturday. C Collins traveling schedule, the leaves that, that you curate, that you pick all these different amazing teas. We're so lucky because you're bringing them from different parts, you know, of Asia, and you do all the hard work. I just have to go on your website and order them. So um, thank you. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah, and your
0: retreats, you have your retreats too. I have a question. How is it, before I let you go, like having your passion and something that you love so much and it's so personal to you and your own self-transformation and spirituality and just presence on earth and then having also that as your business, right? Like.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's that's good.
0: like, for many people, this is like a dream because you want to, you want to, you know, you get to, to share with others what you love so much, but it's also like coming, we could do a whole business podcast. I could do with you like a calling podcast on business. And also I have to commend you because you brought something like you were saying in LA, there was that back in the day, nobody was even doing that, the way the the channel and. Very rarely, I mean, maybe like a handful of people. You really kind of helped um, bring it to the forefront, and you're still doing that. And I think that that's that's also starting something really from scratch, grassroots. Mm. So it's really special. It's not like you're just starting another beer company or whatever. You know, you're like not only you're bringing this beautiful product, but you're you have to educate people what this is what's the value of it why what's the place in it in modern society in the world how is this re- relevant so i would love to hear like how do you balance those this particularly i should say because i'm in the same boat
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> i work yeah. with yoga and yoga is so special to me so i'd love to hear
1: some insights yeah. you know i two things one I remember I worked in my 20s for the Canadian consulate in their like agriculture, trade world and some in sustainability and then worked for a number of startups in kind of working on climate change and sustainability and that kind of thing and there was this quote I heard one time which was we don't have an ecological crisis, we have a crisis of consciousness and my feeling was like the people have to change it's not you know the earth she's doing fine it's the it's people and our level of consciousness and our relationship to to the earth and to our own development as individuals and communities that has to transform and i had a real desire to help people but i realized that i didn't really have many tools and that's when i decided to go back to school for chinese medicine and i found tea also as a tool to help people and that that became not only help people as individuals, but help people come together. And Mm -hmm. that became the foundation for everything that I've done since then. And that was like in my late twenties and having a business, it's a tricky thing to take something that's so intimate to you. It's part of your practice. You've have so much value that you've gained from it and then having to monetize it and make a living from it. Right. It's, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but I think, you know, not to sound too cliched, but like money is energy. And mm-hmm. when we are really in service to the thing that we love and we're sharing it from a place of genuine altruism and a genuine mm-hmm. other people's well-being and their growth and their their happiness and to help diminish suffering for people, and you keep that at the forefront, then I feel like the financial side of it can work itself out. And what's challenging is that there's this entrepreneurial myth that like you develop a technical skill and then you want to share it with people. And that just by sharing it, it'll take, the business will take care of itself. But then what one learns is that they have to learn all the, you know, yeah. how to read P and L sheets and balance sheets. Yeah and fundraising and that that, that, that and it's like oh
0: god it's a lot
1: you can really get pulled in the direction of mm-hmm. oh, wait this isn't what i wanted to do i wanted to just share mm-hmm. this thing i love and th- i think yeah. what i've observed in my trajectory is it started out with a thing i love and wanting to share it and understanding its value and, you know, I sold tea for years and years in LA, and I did not have a strong grasp of accounting or finance or anything. And all the markups on the tea were so low that I actually lost money for like eight years. And I didn't even really understand that that was happening. And so I was basically giving tea away for free or at a loss. And I was taking my loans from school for Chinese medicine. And living very modestly and abstemiously, and then traveling and buying tea and then selling it at <laughs> low a cost. And so basically the federal government was giving me money so I could get tea <laughs> for free. That's fine. And I think there's something beautiful about it in that it wasn't mm-hmm. about business for me. But at a certain yeah. point, at a certain point I was like, if I if I want to make a living, I can't just give tea away for free. I don't have a trust fund or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had to get a lot smarter about business, and mm-hmm. spent some years, you know, reading books on accounting and on entrepreneurialism and e-commerce and all that kind of thing, and got all my ducks in a row. And, and learning
0: like, along the way—that's what learning
1: you're along the way and yeah. studying tea along the way and everything—and then was able to grow the business to a point where now I've been able to hire people to do a lot of that work, and mm-hmm. I got back to what I love, which is connecting with people like you and sharing. Mm-hmm. Educating and sourcing. So, for people who are in somewhere in that whole trajectory, yeah. like keep doing what you love. You may have to do a bunch of business stuff at some point to learn how to do it. If you're an entrepreneur, but if you stay focused, at a certain point, you will get back to just doing the thing that you love.
0: I love that.
1: You know? Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I will link Wuda. You've mentioned his name a few times. Who lives in Taiwan? And she, and it's a Um, teacher of tea and and shares tea as well we've interviewed him for life on earth so i'm going to link his episode also in show notes as well as your episode uh previously Mm -hmm. and do you how else could anybody get a hold of you
1: yeah i mean i the company yeah on instagram we do a lot we post daily on different aspects of a life tea and how to live a life of tea and events we do and kind of little things about going deeper into these practices. So that's a really good resource. And we have a newsletter that we put a lot of like intention and time and thought into so that you can sign up for the newsletter. We try to be really mindful of not like overdoing it in terms of sending Mm -hmm. uh, newsletters and try to make it really valuable for people. And then we also have for folks getting deeper into tea, we do have like an affiliate program where You can get discounted teas, and we do a lot for our affiliates in terms of providing them with nice teas and education and classes and stuff. And then they can offer their friends and community tea at a discount, and they get a kickback on anything, any sales from that. So for for people who are sharing tea a lot, it's nice because they basically get their tea for free,
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: and they're able to then have tea to share more regularly if they're sharing tea in their communities and that kind of thing. so i think those are kind of the main resources um and we have a pretty dynamic thing going on at living tea like there's a lot happening and a lot of events in the next year so just staying connected to us as a community and what tea again is really about connection for us so developing personal relationships with people is important to us you know we're not here just to sell things online like that's the reason I've opened these tea houses is because I want to connect directly with people. Yeah. Um, and so with people who really found value in tea, we have developed meaningful personal relationships with them. So that's great.
0: Uh, yeah. That's- I love that about living tea as a community. It's it's really beautiful. It's brought a lot into my life. So thank you so much for, all the work that you do and and your team and everyone who puts it all together. I know it's, it's a lot of work behind the scenes and packaging and getting the quality there and the contacts that you all have in Asia and so forth. So I know it's a lot, it seems like so simple, but there's a lot that needs to go on behind the scenes. So thank you for all that. And, is there anything else you'd like to share? I mean, I love our conversation oh. today. I, I feel like um, you know, I want to go back and listen to it. There's so many great things that you've said.
1: I don't know. I wish everybody a wonderful winter, and I hope. Thank that, you. I hope you feel inspired to go and um, drink some good tea after this. I I I imagine. <laughs> and, and, I'm uh,
0: inspired. I feel like I might have to have like a second seat sitting today. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Sweet, 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 sweet. This is the, this is the best time of year for tea, I think, because it's cold outside and you want to like hunker down and meditate and be more of an inward time. And so especially these dark grounding teas can really help facilitate practice. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And check out the tea club because there's a lot in that too. So, So cool. That's
1: like I said earlier, that's kind of the heart of our offering. So I feel like that's that's a really, it's also a wonderful gift. You know, we're in the gifting season now. So sharing a season or two with somebody is a really, I feel like a really heartfelt, uh, meaningful gift to give somebody. So,
0: yeah. Well, thank you, Colin, so much. This was wonderful. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Wonderful speaking with you Natalie. I always appreciate these conversations and uh, look forward to future collaborations.
0: Me too. For sure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Life on Earth podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you love, subscribe to the show, and have a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in this beautiful planet. My hope is that you too may cultivate mindful practices in your life. I'll see you soon.